When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. So I think that's the greatest song in the world. It's fucking good. I, I honestly, like, whenever I hear that song, I'm like, I can't think of a song that's literally more perfect than this song. You know what might be up there for me? Is like a, uh, maybe some Otis Redding. Like which song? Like... Like either sitting on the dock of the bay or try a little tenderness or something. Those are pretty perfect. Dock of the bay is pretty. But see, those songs are like, they're like perfect. Sitting on the dock of the bay is pretty awesome. But uh, you know why that song is. But awesome Lean too, on is, Me is like, an, is like a universal human anthem, though. But did that movie not kind of change the song for it you? It did kind of fuck like, it up. It did fuck it up. I can't like <laughs> I can't hear that song without picturing like Joe Clark <laughs> music teacher leading East Patterson High School in a rendition of Lean On Me. Like that's that's how I know Lean On Me, you know? That's the the only reason I know every lyric to that song is because of that movie. Really? I mean, I guess obviously I'm older than you, but like that song is like, yeah, I've been hearing that song on the radio since I was a kid, though. Yeah. I mean, maybe your age, maybe from the country country bumpkin living. It wasn't on the charts when I was. I'm saying, that's why I'm like. (laughs) I'm not that old. (laughs) My only other guess here is that since you grew up, it was maybe you had more church programming on the dials than i did growing yeah, up so maybe so you had more lean on me's more kind of diet massachusetts main preachers uh, no it was more like top four come to jesus <laughs> no 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 there was none That's of that sounded like <laughs> my, my dad would not tolerate that shit <laughs> <laughs> see the more and more you spin this yarn about where you're from it's just going farther in my head <laughs> you know you know that my dad is actually an ordained minister though <laughs> See, <laughs> I called it. Wait, are we talking like, like actually did the thing, or like the Universalist Life he, Church? No, no, he's, he's he went to uh, he went to school for he, he like majored in like religion and archaeology, and that's why no shit he ended up doing all these digs in Israel. He was kind of like a renowned like um, biblical archaeologist. Whoa! Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah no, he, he yeah. A biblical archaeologist. Yeah, so he was going his... to Israel trying to find not like, like he old wasn't scrolls. Not, and... Yeah, well, sort of. He wasn't so much. It was more about the time period. Like he's not yeah. like a. He's actually not really very religious in terms of practicing. Um, right. Like we didn't go to church every Sunday or anything like that. Okay. Uh, but and he never like you know he's just he's ordained but he never like had a had a church of his own he fill, he used to sometimes he would fill in for the minister in our hometown wow but a faithful man yeah yeah but also like he's kind of a hippie like he's pretty he's pretty he's like more liberal than me probably wow so can you remember like when you were a kid at any point some sort of like biblical archaeology like not coming to your house, obviously, but your dad's like, yo, I found like... I mean, that's the thing about archaeology is like, 
You know, it's it's not fucking. Uh, it's the most opposite from Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't like, think that was real. Like, like I mean, I remember like the biggest find that they ever found was this like piece of pottery, this broken pottery. And it was just a piece. It wasn't even a whole piece. And it was like, this shows that like such and such people were actually here during this time period, which is revelatory. Right, right. You know, like nobody, they didn't think that these people appeared here for 500 more years. Yeah. And like that was like out of all the stuff that he did over the years, like this one little shard, as it was called. You know. See, I love that shit too. It's like the more and more you learn about that stuff, you do realize that just people were all over the world for fucking right. forever. You know what I mean? Even even another, it's another uh, check to take Columbus Day off from oh, yeah. being anything <laughs> since it's such a load of shit, is the fact that, have you ever heard about all the, the stuff they found in like Minnesota? Oh yeah. In that region, like the, all the Viking yeah. shit up there? Oh yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious the yeah. Vikings were here like yeah. a thousand years before he was, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. You're, you're probably part Viking. There's right? a lot of people here. <laughs> <laughs> um, part Viking. Yeah, and, and, and just the simple fact, I mean, come on. How can you discover something people are on? <laughs> just the fundamental concept that we were raised with that. Like, what? A, just a basic load of shit, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm going to have a tough time with that one if it's still around when my kids know what's up, you know? <laughs> no. I have a niece who's really anti-Christopher Columbus. My, my, really? my stepbrother did a number on her. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's already up. She's already up for the fight. It is ridiculous when you really know actual history. I mean, they literally use that phrase. He discovered this yeah, land. No, I know. And then met people. Oh, when like, I was, you know, my what son's are you age. talking about? When I was my son's age, that was the gospel. Christopher Columbus right. discovered America. End of story. I know. <laughs> and didn't even, he didn't even land here, right? No. He was like, he like Bahamas land, yeah, or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, he didn't even make it. Fail. Well, speaking of changing history, Tim Barry. <laughs> Did we just always changing history? Huh? <laughs> Did we just change history with this podcast? I mean, he actually did. I don't know if you know this about Tim, but he had taken an interest in, you know, Richmond history. You know, he's a bit of a historian and just likes to dig into the past. And uh, you know, he wrote a song about a slave named Gabriel Prosser who uh, tried to lead a rebellion that ended up not working out. But Tim had basically discovered that the site where this happened was now a parking lot for Virginia Commonwealth University or something. And just that fundamental concept bothered him so much that, you know, he had this song uh, and was very vocal about it, and it wound up leading to an actual change. Really? They, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, they put something in place there. Um, I think there's a plaque, there's like a lawn, some grass, like something right. to at least you know acknowledge the fact that this existed and it happened and it happened in this place. So t- Tim's fucking badass he, like that. Yeah, you know? he's changed history. That's good. Yeah. How many of us have, a, have an actual physical monument that we can point to? I know. It's and Tim good. is, you know, it's hard sometimes. Like, Tim's my friend now, which is rad. You know, I've known him a long time and I consider him one. But I spent a good part of my life with him just being like Tim Barrett, you know, like the dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and when I was thinking about it with this interview, I actually have like 
a weird series of events that has always kept like a veil and Tim like super like it's in so many stories in my narrative. Like when I was, uh, you know, in my first band dilemma, I played a house show in a church somewhere opening for the band oblivion from Chicago. Right. And I got a backpack stolen that night. Uh, the only things in the backpack, which illustrate the kind of kid I was at the time, was like 500 flyers for a show <laughs> I was doing, a bottle of jupe cologne, which I was experimenting with. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was doing in there. <laughs> Listen, I was a chubby kid being raised by a woman who, you know, she tried hard, but I, I was literally hitting on girls while dousing myself in lilac uh, body spray. Okay. I didn't know what I was doing. It was all a mystery but, back then. Yeah. But this backpack, the thing I was actually upset about was I had a lifetime patch and an avail attempt to regress patch on this backpack. And that's what really bummed me out was losing those patches right. I couldn't get back. And that was a crazy night. I was almost hit by a car. Long story. But then years later, you know, when I'm more into music, there was a show up in North Jersey. I think it was the only show they ever did at this place. It was a, a church in Paramus or Oradell, and they did a show with the Veil, Chisel, Samuel, Chisel. and the Van Pelt. And it was just like this loaded lineup and all bands that were just like above my local band tier right. where like I was fucking blown away. And it stands as one of like my all-time favorite shows I've ever seen. And then, you know, skip again years and years later because of a mutual friend, literally Tim Barry shows up to Gaslight's first show ever in Richmond. I'm talking at some fucking redneck bar, like on the other side, I think it was actually in the neighborhood Tim lived in. Uh, <laughs> and, and we're playing there to literally six, seven people. And my boy Travis is there and he brings Tim who winds up being his best friend. And I had no idea. And so Tim was actually at like the first show. Right. And then he starts doing the solo stuff. He writes a song about the Motel 6 in East Brunswick in the land of no left turns where he's staying. This is the motel I used to stay when I was homeless after Gaslight Tours. <laughs> you know what I mean? He right. had a bucket of beer. I had an apple bowl and some pizza. <laughs> that was about the only different, though. So it's like I, I just had this like series of events that have always led me super interconnected with right. with Tim and, and this mutual friend Travis uh, we had. And, and, you know, I don't know. I have so much admiration and respect for this guy uh, that it's hard sometimes, even when I'm having a friendly conversation to just be real, you know? Right. I hope it didn't come across in this interview. I think it's a I really thought, good talk. I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's super. It sounds really comfortable, dude. It sounds like going off track to me. Yeah, Tim ripped us with some great stories. Let's listen to it. It's going off track! I walk into this place. It's beautiful. I got some acreage, but I have like, like, I don't know, I didn't count, but like 30, 40, like mature trees on the property. Um, and like the municipal stick and log pickup was like a week after I moved in. Where like, so, I'm, so I walk into this place, I take a look around, I learn what I have to do. I'm like, holy shit, I got to do a lot in like the next week or else it's just going to sit here all winter. 
So in like a week, I bought a chainsaw, extra large pruners. Uh, I've gotten poison ivy a couple times. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like, I'm in it, man. So how many acres do y'all have? Two. That's totally manageable. Yeah. What kind of trees are on it? A bunch of pines, different uh-huh. kinds of pines, fully grown. Uh, we have some maple, um, definitely a couple sycamore. Mm-hmm. And oh, then I love sycamores. Everything else I'd be pretending to know. I have a lot to learn, Tim. Sycamores are my favorite. You know, so, um, so <clears throat> we all knew this was going to happen that that let's just use New York city as an example. Yeah. When COVID hit and it hit hard, um, you know, we all knew that people were going to flee tightly packed urban areas, totally. um, to find, uh, solace, uh, somewhere else because it's terrifying. Right. And yeah. I didn't really think that that many people would move to Richmond, but, um, Oh, is that, is that, well, it just, I mean, it's just moving from one urban environment to another, but so our fantastic neighbors up the street, Greg and Sherry, who've lived in the neighborhood for like nearly 30 years, bought uh, 10 acres out in Verina County here, you know, as they're like retirement, we're, we're done with the city living. Yeah. And the people who bought the house were Brooklynites. Really? Who work from home. And the very first thing that I noticed was they had no idea how to manage their lawn and the gardens <laughs> and all that stuff. So what you're yeah. talking about is really funny. And they're great people. It's just really funny, like, watching the grass get higher and higher. <laughs> and, like, on the property – and it's really small. I mean, it's just a city lot. But, like, on the property, there's, like, um, a fig tree that uh-huh. no one was harvesting and okay. all the flowers. <laughs> it was just hilarious. Yeah, they're but, out of sorts, man. Yeah, and it's understandable. So what do you do for us? Like, so as neighbors – are people just going to watch me like fumble around for a few years and fuck up a bunch of times till I figure it out? Or are people going to come like school me? I don't know. I don't well, know. I don't know. I think you'd be offended if I walked up and was like, Benjamin, you're doing that all wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The blower. That's true. The blower goes on your back, not on the front. And <laughs> I would I would automatically dismiss you for being a cock. Totally. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, that's true. So I, I would just sit I'd sit in the rocking chair and drink beer and laugh. <laughs> that sounds about right. I saw a guy the other day. I mean, he kind of looks like like Portlandia a little. Um, but he was really sweet. And I saw him outside of his house taking care of some very large uh, logs and stumps and stuff, making firewood. Oh, that's another thing. I need firewood now. Oh, and I've already messed up. Like I already started burning something. I clearly shouldn't be burning pine. But, any, but anyway, you, I saw tell this me you didn't guy. put pine in there. <laughs> I didn't yet, but I would have if you didn't say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I saw this guy, and I'm like, you know what? This is where I'll use like my punk rock communal skills in this environment. I see he's got a lot of work to do. I need firewood and also don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to go up to homie and just be like, yo, like you got a laborer. 
like, let's work. Like, let's bust this out. I just want a little bit of wood and the knowledge, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to go into it like that. I'm, I'm pretty happy about it, though. It's it's just like a new... I don't think it's something like I can't do. You know, I'll figure it out. No. I just hope... I was telling Brad in the last episode, I just hope that my learning curve isn't like a rogue chainsaw to the thigh. And my no. learning curve is like putting the leaves in the wrong place. You know? Oh, man. Don't talk like that. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you've used all these things? No. You know, I, I am not good with a chainsaw. Okay. But listen, you just... You just learn your instrument. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Don't try to take down a 90-foot loblolly pine on your property. Right. Cut the limbs first. Get used to yeah. that. And, then, you know, cutting wood with, you know, like for firewood, if it's the right kind of wood, there's this crazy thing that they came out with about 15 years ago. It's called YouTube. <laughs> and... um. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn a lot if you if you look on that. Um, but seriously, like <laughs> once you learn how to chop wood, you're fine. Just like fishing. I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know this shit. I live in a city. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm like I'm like I've been to some of your places. I don't think you had a lot of lawn work to do. No, <laughs> we barely had a house. Not a, not a riding mower. And right and now I live in a a house that's under 900 square feet. With like a back deck and sort of patio, and then a little front yard. That okay. I wish I had more um, leaves and stuff to use for compost. I don't know. So, are wow. you still in? Are you still in like downtown Richmond? I'm in downtown Richmond, right, right across the river in Southside, in this okay. little teeny neighborhood. Um, that's really super interesting to live in, and it's the first place I've ever owned. It's oh, the cool. first thing I've ever owned. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm the guy who, like, like many of us, uh, the person, like many of us who um, never had a vehicle with under 185,000 miles <laughs> right. on it when they bought it. So yeah. uh, this is like a big step. And the girls and I have been living in here for about two years and we love it. You can see the river. Um, I'm looking at the river right now out the window so it's real nice we live right at one of the park entrances and the neighbors are absolutely fantastic so we awesome. couldn't be happier you'd be a great neighbor i'd love to have you as a neighbor i have great neighbors <laughs> i like so richmond i have a very from what i hear about from you and the townspeople that i know richmond is a a very different place than it once was and especially back in like the 80s and 90s like what where were you at during that time when you were coming up were you in downtown richmond were you in the outskirts like where'd you actually grow up i grew up north of richmond in what mm -hmm. i refer to as north virginia and have <laughs> lived in richmond in the city since i believe august of 1990 Okay. It sounds about right. Let's just use that date. Um, like in the city. Um, um, so that's 30 years of, of urban living. And yes, it's, I mean, Richmond's very different. Things change, uh, you know, in the same way that every urban area is completely different now. Totally. Um, and that started, I think the urban renewal really started 
maybe uh, 15 years ago and in mid-size cities really didn't start expediting uh, its their its maturity until what do you think? seven or eight years ago is when Richmond just absolutely exploded. So look, the little neighborhood I live in right now, <clears throat> I think I'm accurate in saying that there's 1,300 apartment. Uh, uh, there, there's many apartment buildings going up surrounding our tiny little neighborhood, and I think it's oh, okay. 1,300 new people are going to be moving into this one-mile radius, less than one-mile oh, wow. radius. So, yeah, it's, it's moving quick. So Richmond's very different, but everywhere is. Is there any kind of like local backlash to that stuff, to the development, or is everybody just kind of acquiescing at this point? I think people just mumble about the fact that the the architecture looks nothing like what they appreciate in this mm. city. Um, it's too specific to for me to like um, have people understand. I'm trying to think of comparisons, but if you imagine like um, um, brick homes that were built in the 1850s. Right. Surrounded by sort of that German pod um, mid-rise. I call them adult dorms. Like, so you go, you go, you live in (laughs) suburbia, you go, and this is not offensive. It's like not intended to offend offend nobody, but like, so you live in suburbia, then you go to Virginia Commonwealth University um, and you move into the dorms, you got your meal plan, you get all that. That's it. Then you graduate and you get a job at like, McDonald's, and then you move into the adult dorm that has right. the pool in the middle and the exercise uh-huh. room attached and to a it. Parking and, deck. And a parking deck. And yeah. then you, you struggle to pay that $2,200 a month <laughs> right. as you're trying to pay off your $50,000 student loan for, for the, yeah. That's right. Whatever it is. So I don't know. And it's again, not intended to be offensive. Everybody takes their own route, but, um, <clears throat> Then eventually, you got to learn how to mow your lawn. Exactly. See, it's funny you say that the exact same thing is happening. You know, I was just in Jersey City for like, you know, 13 years. And these same exact places you're talking about, these towers where, you know, where we are, it's towers because, you know, they don't have the restrictions of how high they can build things. And, you know, same thing as you, like people graduate college. I say it's like the post-college pre your kids going to school towers you know mm-hmm. what i mean so it's yep. this like seven or eight years where you can manage to live around the city you know you appreciate the things it gives to you but like you said in these buildings with a gym with parking deck a pool uh resource rooms uh you know basically like like you said little built in almost like a man caves and spy areas and all these places <laughs> And you actually never have to go into the community, really. You know, you can move to this place without ever really moving to this place. It's like being on tour. Like, you don't have to meet people who already live there. You don't have to get into it. You don't have to learn the history. You don't have to adapt your behavior, which around me seemed to be the biggest thing because it's like, I don't know. You know, I never want to be the person who says, like, this is the same reason people think, you know, skinheads and hardcore was okay. It was like, oh, we got to get the bad people out. You know, I don't, I don't want to play it like that. But there was a limit to these people's behavior when there still was some danger involved. Where, like, you couldn't just go down the street and this roving mob of, like, 
eight to 10, early 20s, rich white people dressed to the nines being loud and imagining, like you said, this is your post-dorm environment. And, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, they still couldn't have gotten away with it. And now they could. Yeah. I've always thought that I don't want to be, as you're saying, like that person who's like, get off my lawn. Yeah, exactly. But really, so this is what I love about my neighborhood is, is it's like there's people who are anchored here. And then people mm-hmm. who are what we what I refer to as transient. And I think mm-hmm. the people that you're talking about are transient. They're not invested in any way in the block. They don't right. go by the rules that that are sort of like established. And you know what? Like I like that. Fuck the rules. Mm-hmm. Everything is so I mean, there, it should be mixed up. The only time I'm gonna be offended in any way is if you act violently towards anyone with with no rational reason. Sure, um, sure. But yeah, I don't know what to say. Like, I'm trying so hard to not just be a grumpy, middle-aged white dude who <laughs> yeah. wishes things that were the way they were before. Yeah. Because that's so damn boring, man. Like, listen, things weren't better before. No, things were no. just different. And things aren't going to be better in the future they're just going to be different. So appreciate it. Um, try to find value in it. So what I try to say is like people want this idea of a very Richmond experience. So they look into local musicians and artists when they move into the city. And right. do I benefit from that? Yes, I do. Sure. And yeah. so does Ed Trask, the artist. And so does uh, many other people that I know. And so that's like, me trying to be positive and not get off my fucking lawn, but yeah, please yeah, yeah. stay out of the fucking train yard. <laughs> I got to say when, co- when COVID hit and, oh, and, and everyone yeah. decided that they were outdoor enthusiasts as if Instagram right. didn't ruin all our secret spots to begin with. <laughs> I have sure. never seen anything like what happened in our little neighborhood. Really? I could not believe it. So the James river park system, um, has this is I'll just I'll just provide some um, yeah please some reality to this yeah I kept saying to say to my sister who lives at one entrance and I live at another entrance of the James River Park system I'm like it's out of friggin' control and she's like it's out of control here too and everybody's sort of saying the same thing um, because of course you can't gather inside and it's beautiful out spring everybody wants to be outside the James sure. River Park system had never seen one million visitors in a year. Okay. And the James River Park system saw 1 million visitors on July 1st. No. Out of control. So those are the little things in the city where I'm like, man. Yeah. Y'all are in my fishing spot. Yeah, there's no more secret spots. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. (laughs) Although my daughter and I did spend all afternoon at one of our secret spots yesterday. And she bought, she just turned eight. She got a slingshot. With a fifteen dollar uh, gift yes. certificate at Bass Pro Shop, and yes. I told the guy who gave her the gift certificate that he's going to be replacing some windows at the house sometime yeah. in the near future. But we sat down there, and she was catching catfish and and shooting her BB gun and doing her thing and shooting yeah. her thing. So yeah, there is still uh, uh, places to achieve solitude here. That's good. There's still pockets. Now, like, so Richmond in 1990, when you, what first brought you 
down that way? Was it music? Was it school? Was it I, I can't totally, I can't remember it at all. It was something about, um, it was a veil. I mean, a veil was sure. already together. And so a veil was already going on by the time. Yeah. But when, when we all, when we all moved in together, mm-hmm. I was the drummer. Okay, so is that early? So it's right. this long ago, right? Yeah. I had hair down to my ass, and I was the drummer, and the singer quit because we were smoking cigarettes in the house bef- three months before he moved down or something like that. Okay. It's sort of like all kind of irrelevant. No, I didn't come down to go to school. Um, <laughs> we all came down. Bo was in the Navy at the time. Um, uh, all of us pretty much worked. Um, Eric, who became the drummer, uh, um, was like one of the only of the, the posse that didn't move in in the original wave. Uh, Bo ended up deserting, um, the Navy. And then, I don't know, it was just different. We, we sort of just kind of just took over this house and started running around like crazy people. And, um, um, a lot of some of us had spent lots of time down here going to shows anyway, so we knew yeah. plenty of people and, and jumped right into the the punk and hardcore scene, and and um everybody kind of found their own niches. I kind of fell more into like the activist sort of thing and like graffiti and trains and and whatnot, right. and um yeah, we just kind of did our thing and then ended up putting out a record and. I started setting up tours real early, um, early on. I think the first time we crossed the country might have been 92 or 93. And I, okay. I, I did that with phone numbers from from um, the band Born Against. Ah, all right. So there you go. Here's some New Jersey connection. Yeah, how uh, did you know those guys by then? So I was setting up shows about right when I moved down here. And then... Um, uh, I don't remember what year it was that Rorschach and Born Against did an 11 week tour, but I was one of many people to set up shows for them. Like, like normal at that time. And the venue in Richmond was that show at, I can't remember. It was probably Twisters, um, which later became Nancy Reagan. And then whatever it ended up being before it shut down. Gotcha. Um, But I would set up shows like at a warehouse at Twisters at the Metro and a couple other places. And so they came down and like a lot of the tours back then, um, you know, they ended up having five days off or whatever. And we all, we all became really close. And when the tour finished, Adam Nathanson from born against sent me a Xeroxed, um, uh, list of phone numbers with sort of like yeah. a, a, um, a chart on it that would say like, uh, Benny in New Jersey did our show, like Benny in New Jersey, phone number, and then sort of like a check mark that would mean Benny did a pretty good job. Like good enough to, to act to and, call again. Yeah, and then like yeah. Brad in New York City, X, hell no, you know, bad job. <laughs> and anyway, so wow. I it, I was given this ability to That's like a Bible. That's a that's a huge thing to get. That's well, awesome. and it was crazy because it's just one <laughs> Xerox right. piece of paper. But that fucking thing took us across the country. Yeah. So we yeah. had this Ford Econo line that we called uh Jenny and and um we had uh 
made our first record called Satiate, which is right. fucking awful. But oh, like, not true. Well, not, not true. true. That's interesting that, that you not think true. it's not true because we're talking about repressing it because it's not been repressed. Yeah, it is not bad. I All right. Well, that for well sure. yeah. Time times go on, but um. So <laughs> so we um have this record that we've put out essentially ourselves. Adam Thompson uh put it out on Catheter Records, which was our little record label that we ran out of the house, and it was funded. By Charles Maggio from oh, Irv Landstein yeah. and uh, Old Glory Records up in yeah. Vermont each gave us five hundred dollars so that we could press the Fuck first yeah. first version of it. So we did okay. that, and I set up a tour using these phone numbers that Adam Nathanson and Born Against had given us, and somehow we made it all the way across the country. And Adam. Thompson, who helped put out that first record, sent it to Larry Livermore from uh, Lookout Records okay. while we were in transit. And gotcha. Larry came out to an avail show on the West Coast. I believe it was our first time there. I hope so he I'm got it sent right. to him while you guys were on your way out there. Yeah, and Adam Thompson cool. was just being kind and maybe trying to get himself off the hook of running a <laughs> fucking record label. <laughs> right. And I and I, I and if I remember correctly, Larry Livermore came to the Avail Rancid show, which had oh, wow. about had about eighty people at it. <laughs> if you can, get, if that gives you a, a time period, yeah, sure. I think they had just had a seven inch out or had it coming out. Anyway, he put out that record, and then Avail moved to Lookout, and then we just kept on trucking and setting up tours that, using payphones and fax machines and whatnot until Margie Alban started setting up our tours and she still books me to this day. Yeah. Yeah. You are a loyalist, my friend. I am. Um, now, even before that, like backtrack, like I know you have like a crazy history. I know you love metal and you have a history with metal. Um, so what was like, what was your actual like entry into like heavy music? Like, do you remember a time when you first heard something heavy and fast and kind of just like what drew you to it at the time? Yeah, that's so thank you for asking good questions. So I, I, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but so <clears throat> I have two young daughters and they're becoming really interested in different kinds of music and they're, sure. they're pretty diverse. And that's helped me reflect on like, how the fuck did I end up being like a bad folk rock singer like how did this and so if people ask like how did you end up being a, a mediocre folk rock singer and and i always give the same sort of answer which is that's the music that my parents listened to and it deeply influenced me and i really like it okay. and i grew and i've always played punk music and the last thing i want to listen to when i'm off a tour or not on stage is loud fast music but okay. so um and everyone else says they got into it through skating Mm. But I did not skate. Okay. Um, if I get a skateboard, it just shoots out from underneath me and I break my <laughs> wrist. Yeah. So I'm pretty close to the same. Yeah. So I was the guy around the neighborhood on the BMX bike with the jean jacket oh, and the yeah. and the long hair with the hat pulled backwards that said, look at me, instant asshole. Or look, or you know, like something like that, like uh, right. instant asshole. Just add alcohol. That's what my fucking hat said, <laughs> and with the Marlboro Reds in my pocket. But how did I get there? Yeah, I have to yeah. go back to 
my dad worked, let's just say at one point we ended up living in London, England, when he oh, was doing some training. Oh, wow. um, and I still to this day can't believe the autonomy that my parents gave my brother and I when we were there. I have a brother who's two years older than me. Okay. And basically they, for the year that we lived there and I was a preteen, like teen, like 13, um, they gave us a tube card, like a Metro card, a, a subway card so that okay. we could just go anywhere. Cool. And yeah. my brother had just gotten really into metal and of course, I followed suit. So, um, the real shit is that I was, I, and I still look up to my brother, and he just started taking me to fucking crazy shows. So, okay. um, I saw Iron Maiden uh, on Power Slave. I saw Motley Crue on um, Shout at the Devil. I saw, um, <laughs> this is all in England, uh, this is in England wow. monsters of rocket out in castle Donington. Uh, I went to my first punk show at the marquee in London. This is in the eighties. Um, I saw Metallica on kill em all in a, yeah. in like a 800 cap club. Holy shit. Uh, nice. My brother went to see the clash at Brixton Academy. I wasn't, wow. I didn't make it to that. My brother saw venom at Hammersmith, the one that was filmed for live at Hammersmith Odeon. Right, right. So I got all into it just from that. And really like, so when I was younger than that, I would listen to the go-go's and, and, and whatnot. But I really remember for whatever reason, maybe it was cause I was, um, from Irish descent and raised in a Catholic church. When I heard Venom at war with Satan, nothing spoke <laughs> to me more. And it was kind of unbelievable. And you then like the Catholic ideology over time. Oh, it just it I would, it make sense. I would go to church wearing my Venom shirt that said, look at me, Satan's child, born of evil, thus defiled. And <laughs> how the hell that, that they, they let me in there. But, um, and then later, um, you know, back in the States in Virginia, everybody was listening to classic rock and like Southern rock. Right. And then the punks, you know, like the skaters were listening to black flag and, and, um, suicidal tendencies. And okay. when, when the crossover happened, those folks were coming at me and I'm like, listen to rain and blood, uh, by right. Slayer. And I, you know, and sure. we all went to go see Slayer in Washington DC on the rain and blood tour. Um, that was my first stage dive during chemical warfare. Nice. Um, I call it a head walk, but, um, more of a head walk, more of a head walk. Yeah. My last stage dive was a stage flop, but, um, <laughs> everyone's got their pathetic <laughs> last one. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but so, yeah, that's my long winded answer. But when the crossover happened, they were asking me about our music. I was asking them, about theirs and then got right. then I ended up in punk bands like as a drummer sure. because I was a thrash drummer. And yeah. so when you can play like Slayer style um thrash, yeah, man, you when punk. you when someone yeah. someone someone lets you listen to group sex by circle jerks, right. man, it's so fun to play that style with sure. the four fours and and then kicking into the cut time and then a breakdown and the song's over. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so awesome. So that's where you fell in love. That's where I turned into a, a punk rocker. I love it, man. And and 
did uh how much younger is Caitlin than you? Were you guys playing, you know, you play music together as adults. Was there any mutual music as kids or did that, did that come later in life? No, Caitlin's my sister who plays violin. Caitlin is uh, 12 years younger than me. Oh, so okay. my brother okay. played guitar. I played drums. So we sense. had metal bands when we were kids. It was just basically him and I. You remember any names of those bands? Like, well, the, the, our main band was called Militia. What was it? Militia. Oh, that's good. It was great, and the T was an upside down cross, of course, um, <laughs> and with all kinds of emblems hanging from it that I shouldn't mention because things were just fucking way different back then. But different time. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Militia. Let me think. If I can give you some lyrics. I was a singing drummer, by the way. Ooh, um, even better. Let's see. Born on, born on Earth with hell on our minds, decreed to change God's holy shrine. With Hades the masters, the priest must die. <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> and that's cut time. I mean, that's wow. hellfire. Death leads in that hole. Hellfire. <laughs> Through blood and hell, the battle's fought. Lord Satan's teachings must be taught. God's creation is our only goal. New Testament, Lord Satan's scroll. Wow. God damn, I still remember that shit. I got it. I'm bringing See, it back. Where, <laughs> as, a, as a Jew, my theory always holds up, which is ex-Catholics make the best metal people. Because you, know? <laughs> you got to know the info. You got to yeah. know the stuff, you know, to either be able to, like, speak about it or even reject it, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I even well. had, I just, maybe you can help me with this because... My my son has taken a real liking to Iron Maiden. Ooh. I got a lot of vinyl around the house, so it has the you know, the big images of Eddie and stuff. I told him Eddie's a superhero who fights the devil. So I'm kind of teaching, you know, some sort of <clears throat> religious, you know, background here via Iron Maiden. So I kind of reconciled it, like, that's fine. He can see this imagery as long as he's using it for good. But then the other morning I come down and kind of catch him murmuring, six, 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 the number of the beast. And I'm like, ah, oh, my God, I love it. Like, is this okay? Oh my is that okay? God. I don't know. I used to carve the deepest upside down crosses in my arms. If I got tattoos back then, I'd have like pentagrams on my fucking face, like everywhere. Um <laughs> You know, like, I don't know. Take it away from him right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got a six, six. So my mom says about Catholicism now, she looks okay. back on it and she goes, it's just a bunch of weird men with dresses and in those French things on their heads. <laughs> and my dad doesn't buy any of it. Why did y'all yeah. put us through this? And now you, Benny... You're making Satanists out of your children. You need to, to, to practice the parental advisory. No, listen, Tim, this I'm is joking. part of my master plan. You know, a lot of Jews, they'd be mad at me for breaking a Jewish bloodline. The way I see it is I <laughs> fucked up a white one. You know what I mean? And now I'm really fucking it up. I like, love it. You know what I I'm love saying? it. Someone has got to do it. Fuck up got that it. white bloodline. Just destroy work, it. Man. Fuck it. It's the Lord's work. It's like you said, you know, you don't get anywhere just accepting the past as is, right? We're progressive right. people. That's are right. we We're progressive people in a progressive time. <laughs> 
probably oh, the man. most progressive time in the history of our times. <laughs> I mean, it might be, you know, like, you know, when this is all over, like, who the fuck knows, right? But, I mean, you are seeing, you know, so much of what's happening is backlash. You know, the way, like, human beings act. And this isn't, like, coming out of nowhere. <laughs> this is people going crazy for the fact that they had to have, like, a black president named Hussein for eight years. And they just can't handle it. So it's to me, it's like the 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 thing has made a jump, and this is just a death rattle of of a, a very powerful old minority. We don't have to get into that though, because that's no. Well, no let's just, let's just say that when when power is challenged, those in power act in some of the strangest ways. Sure do. Desperate, desperate motherfuckers. That's right. But listen, this is where we switch to something fun, yeah. which is the mystery friend, okay? Yeah. There's going to be music playing right now. <laughs> oh, God. Brad, you're playing I'm it? Que- I'm queuing it right now. Queuing it, okay. So listen, the point of this game, Tim, is I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story that I know that happened to you. I'd like you to tell me about the story. Tell me what happened, how it happened, anything fun. And then you have to guess which mystery friend told me. You up oh, for it? Jesus. Yeah. It's not bad. I already, <laughs> I already ran into a problem with the Brian Keeneland episode of getting too incriminating of a story that it ruined my segment. All right. So you don't want to so, hear about my acid trip the other week. <laughs> I would like to hear about okay, that. Cool. I actually <laughs> okay. did. I did trip acid. Oh, all right. We'll get, we'll do that right after this. I <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not sure. I need to tell anybody that one. <clears throat> all right, we'll move anyway. you up here. Um, so apparently, on one of your tours, you took a detour to go to the Black Butte Center for Railroad Culture in Oregon. Uh, slept in an old train car, and then played a show in the train car next to it. That's all I know about the story. Yes. Can you tell me what happened and how it was? It's not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the black man in my life. Now this is not not incriminating enough. No, there's nothing incriminating about this. The Black Beat Center for Railroad Culture, which is not in Oregon, which is in Northern California, in Black Butte, um, or or uh, or, or right. Uh, weed California, essentially that oh, yeah. exit, uh-huh. um, is on the UP mainline and it's a, a functioning like uh, museum at this point. And it's a place uh, where a certain variety of train nerd like myself sort of has yeah. a safe haven. And it's actually one of the, <clears throat> my favorite places in the entire world. And the trains come by all of my train People are there, um, and they have uh, multiple restored uh, uh, railroad cars. They have an outdoor kitchen. They have an outdoor pizza oven. And what Corey Brandon or Jenny Owen Youngs, who is the mystery friend, is referring to is – or Julie Carr or – uh, those are the three. Um, or Still Catherine. wrong. Still, Still wrong. wrong. Hold on. My mystery friend I'm, is good. I'm getting there. Yeah, this is very good. You're getting me really good because I, I, <laughs> I add those as the, the green lights. But um, so the uh, there are two antique 
wooden boxcars coupled together on the property at the Black Butte Center for Railroad Culture. And one of those is an art gallery, which is oh, cool. amazing. And they rotate art exhibits. And the other one is the show space, which just has like a ankle high stage Christmas lights, a little PA and a deck. So people can stay on the deck and, and play in the car. And I've played there twice at least. And it's my favorite place in the world. So that's awesome. And, and, and you sleep and you're allowed to sleep in the train cars while you're there. Well, people, well, th- that stuff I don't want to get too into where people sure. sleep okay. and, and that people sleep there uh, if they do. Uh, um, but there are um, for the people who, who, who uh, curate the, the area, there are a couple cabooses that are converted well, not converted because cabooses usually have bunks and wood stoves in them to begin with, but um, oh, okay. have been refurbished for uh, for sleeping if necessary. That's awesome. <laughs> so no no stab at the mystery friend. Hmm. You gave me a few. I love how confidently you put that in. And well, you see, I put Corey and Jenny first, Julie Carr. I give up. Your silent weapon, Maddie Scarrow. Oh, that mother. Yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> Dang. He got you. He got Matt you. Matt Gear. Yes, of course, Matt Gear. Oh, I blew it. <laughs> he was good. I caught him on a dog walk this morning. That was a so, good one. So, so, since that was not incriminating at all, now you have to tell me a little bit about the acid thing. And I actually, I don't ask this to, to be like, yo, man, what was it? Like, <clears> I've, I've always been afraid of psychedelics for a number of reasons. There's like an actual reason that I'm scared of them. And as I get older and I get a little more comfortable with the space in my mind, I get a little comfortable with the gray areas. I'm not as fearful of death and things like that as I used to be. I've been considering it more and more, like maybe microdosing or trying something like that. So what was your experience like? Microdosing. Do that. So I don't do do psychedelic drugs. I'll say this. I'll say this. I was down at one of my um, train spots recently, and let's just say I was fishing. And there was another person at that train spot who was fishing as well. <laughs> and I didn't know him when we were talking and, um, and he was real nice. And he was saying that he, you know, he just might mainly smokes weed and does psychedelics. Okay. And then I explained to him what happened to me in August. And he just said, he, he kind of just was like, takes a lot of power to get through that. And that made me really feel like, he was like emotional strength. And I was like, that, that really made me feel like I did accomplish something. Wow. Okay. So, um, when I so was young, went, so when I, south on when I was young, I did psychedelics. Right. And okay. I don't do any drugs now at all. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm like, well, I'm not straight edge, like true till beach week or something. Well, pretty clean but, living. Yeah. No, I mean, I drink beers, but not to excess unless maybe once or twice a year, especially when Roger Harvey was still <laughs> drinking him and I would notoriously get drunk, but, um, and I'll take a hit of weed and like, you know, watch the Donald Trump, uh, town hall just for the bizarreness of it or something, you know, but like, I <laughs> just don't, 
do that. So, um, but I do occasionally smoke weed. And what I really like is edibles, like, you know, like a really low dose edible, because I feel like, you know, if it, it I don't get them very often. And so, listen, I'm going to try to be as brief as possible. But motherfucker, I have not been around anyone but my children and a couple of my neighbors for like six fucking months, right? I haven't played any music. I'm not grieving. I'm fine. I, I'm really enjoying being home. And I'm, my kids are at their mom's house for the night. And I'm like doing some carpentry project out back, right? I'm cutting wood in my awesome neighbor's. Um, who have like a double empty lot in between their houses have like a tent set up and there's like 15 people like in their fifties to six, early sixties. And they're like, um, you know, like playing like a uh, country folk dead influenced, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, like the good, the good grateful dead influence kind of music. And they start playing this great, this song that I really love is classic rock song called sweet Melissa. So I'm out there listening to them while I'm doing the carpentry project. I'm like, this is foolish. Get a beer and go sit out there and watch them. You haven't watched music. You haven't listened to music in so long. So I go out there and my hearing is fucked up and I haven't been around people in a long time and no one, Everybody is doing the social distance thing and like everybody's really just handling it. There's like three people who are like my friend Gwomper who are just like raging. And this is like 630 in the afternoon. And I like am sitting there trying to acclimate. So I'm trying to sit Indian or uh, crisscross applesauce and like <laughs> trying to do trying to do my thing. And um, this dude and his like, you know, like a 60 year old man. Yeah. Big clean cut as fuck looking comes over and he's got a bag of, you know, commercial edible gummy, weed gummies. Okay. And he goes, and the band's playing, and he goes, Do you want a, a, a THC gummy? And I go, I would love one. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. And I, because I'm a, I'm fucking a dumpster diver. I was like, I can't, I'm going to save this fucking thing yeah, for like, like the perfect yeah, time. Right. And you know what I'm saying? Wait like, for the perfect time. Yeah. And, and he goes, He's like, I go, I look at him, I look up at him, and I go, he, he'd introduced himself. By the way, I should go back just a second. He walked up, and he's like, hey, I'm Sam. And I was like, hey, I'm Tim. And because I'm not real close with these neighbors, I needed to reassure Sam that I am a neighbor, not just an intruder. Oh, like, yeah, not a crasher. So, so I'm like, oh, I, I, I know, and I mentioned the neighbors, and I'm like, I live right on the corner two houses away. And he's like, awesome. And he's like, you want a THC gummy? And I was like, yeah, word. And so, and I grab it, and then <clears throat> I go, how many milligrams is this? And he goes, you'll thank me later, and just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Sam. <laughs> Sam. So um, I, I'm like, I put it in my chewing tobacco pouch, and then um, – and then I'm listening to the music. I'm like, I'm just going to take a nibble because I'm just going to take a little nibble and then go back to the house, have another beer, cook supper, and go to sleep. Yeah, so I fucking perfect take setup. perfect setup. So I take a nibble. It's like 7 o'clock. I'm going to just leave everything else. I'm going to fast forward to 10.30 p.m. Motherfucker, <laughs> I go to sleep at like 9, 9.30 usually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 10.30, I'm laying there. Also, my house is so small, I don't have a room. I sleep on the couch. 
Okay. So my kids have a room, like they each have a room, and then I sleep in the middle of the room on the couch, and that will assure that when they're preteens and teenagers that they can't get out of the fucking house. <laughs> oh, it's genius. Security. Oh, who needs brinks? Yeah, That's fuck great. this. But um, so <laughs> I'm laying there on the couch, and I cannot fucking sleep, dude. I'm okay. like losing my fucking mind. I'm like, what is going on? And then, and I was like, I didn't think about the THC gummy at all. Right. It didn't even cross my fucking mind. Okay. <laughs> and then I get up to pee and I'm just staring <laughs> at the toilet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I look in the mirror and I go, Holy fuck, you're tripping on fucking acid. No. <laughs> Sam! Because I'd done acid so many times when I was a yeah. kid, yeah. everything started lining up. Right. And I was like, like I'm, motherfucker, I'm THC, motherfucking gummy my ass. I'm going to uh, go fucking kick your fucking head in, motherfucker. <laughs> like all this shit. And like, so then I'm starting to get irrational. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, dude. And then I'm like, this is a bad trip. This is a bad fucking trip. This is a bad fucking trip, and I can't get out of it. And I'm like, count, counting on my fingers. Oh shit, you haven't even peaked yet. Yeah. Oh fuck, it's oh, coming. Wait, oh shit, fuck. Oh man, fuck. How is this hitting me so hard? This is liquid LSD injected into fucking gummies. Like, what the fuck? Like, now I'm out of my yeah, mind. I'm yeah, like, yeah, how the fuck right. are you going to have a heart attack? He, heart <laughs> like, okay, calm down, breathe, breathe. And I'm fucking pacing my little teeny house in circles right out of my fucking mind. I, 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 I try to turn on music. I try everything out of my fucking mind. Worst <laughs> trip. Don't look in the mirror. Don't, you know, like yeah, <laughs> all this fucking trip. don't open that door. Don't, no, don't fucking no. And then so like, <laughs> so what does a man do at what midnight when he's about to start fucking peeking? Like when he is peeking, I call my neighbor, my other neighbor, oh, my fucking okay. solid got me. Homie, fucking vegan, straight edge, fucking awesome gangster neighbors. <laughs> Got me. Yeah. They're sleeping like motherfuckers. Uh, and I ain't waking them up. And I'm not going outside my house. So what does a man do? Calls his publicist. <laughs> so she answers the phone and just starts laughing her ass off. Imagine dying. And I'm like, this is not funny. This isn't funny. I'm fucking tripping my fucking head off. I can't fucking my dick is the size of a fucking mushroom. I can't fucking. I can't fucking. <laughs> She's like, drink some water. I'm like, I've drank like 500 fucking gallons of water. Fucking, fucking trip my ass off. I'm like hallucinating. I'm fucking like seeing trails i was like this sucks and she's just fucking holds it down and she just goes like stops laughing and she goes you've done acid plenty of times right you know what's gonna happen yes just give it time give you know like she's control. like doing that i'm like okay got it got it get off keep the, going keep get going. off get off the phone with her and then I'm pacing again, fucking pacing. Someone's getting fucking killed in the alley. I run out there. I got fucking nothing but running shorts on, like running in the fucking alley. There's no one getting killed in the fucking alley. Oh, no. I'm like fucking tripping so hard. What? So what does a man do? Calls his accountant at fucking one in the morning. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> my accountant's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> he answers the phone and, and he's like, you're just really high. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he goes, close your eyes. And I was like, okay. And he's like, do you see Grateful Dead patterns? And I go, yes. And he goes, fuck. And then he's like, stay in the house. Put okay. your clothes back on. Yeah. Fucking do not leave the fucking house. Dude. Yeah, don't run out naked. <laughs> don't fucking leave the house. And he's like, you got beer? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, drink it. I was like, fuck yeah, that. Beer. And then he's like, he's like, you got weed? Smoke that. I was like, no. And then he's like, uh, you got cigarettes? Smoke those. I was like, no. Like, just like fucking barking at him. They're just like, oh, it was awful. And then he's like, watch a movie or something. And the thing is, it's like, I don't ever watch TV or movies. Right. So I'm that motherfucker who's like so sensitive. I like cry during a commercial. Yeah, so I'm like, so, I am not yeah. turning on motherfucking E.T. while I'm having a yeah. bad fucking trip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then you'll be walking through the white plastic tunnel before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. So, um, so, uh, I didn't sleep at all. And at, but what I did was turn on jazz music. Okay. And that kind of made, I was having like, um, sound hallucinations from that stuff too, like running outside again. But, but really like I've always heard music in colors. And so I was, hmm. I had like the afterglow and I was able to like play with the colors. But in the morning I, I started walking and um, I'd also texted Roger Harvey at some okay. point and too. And so we talked on the phone for like an hour and a half. And at the end he was like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> and I go, I'm tripping. <laughs> so I tripped for like 17 fucking hours oh and, 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 and it didn't leave my body for like three days. And so I, of course, like any person who's tripping and like the afterglow middle-aged white dude is clearly going to go to fucking target. So I go to target. <laughs> I need those lights. <laughs> you know, like, so it's like, this yeah. is going to be great. And so I'm like talking to Kate Hiltz um, yeah. of the tasty fame and Chunksaw records fame um, on the phone. And we're, talking business and then i explained to her that i'm actually still tripping on acid and we were working on this um this release that i have coming out on the yes. 13th of november which is a is like a two show live thing that i said yeah you know to put it out on vinyl is like making it a fucking box set and 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 that's ridiculous and a waste so let's just do it on digital and streaming and she was like fuck that grateful dead tripping dude <laughs> <laughs> we're putting it out on double cassette tape too. So people can make mixtapes. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> Still tripping. So I got this fucking double cassette tape coming out oh, that I no. consented to. <laughs> oh, you consented. Of course. To, well, I was tripping. A box set, Kate Hilt talked you into a double cassette while you were coming down on acid. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is accurate. Yeah? Someone has got to do it. And she did it. <laughs> Oh, God bless Kate Hiltz. Well, since we got there, we're at we're at this record. I wanted to talk to you about it anyway. Now, the thing, I know you've been talking about it a bit, but I, I wanted to ask, I know you always, like, throw demos out and old recordings and stuff when you're done with albums. So was it hard for you after getting, like, a live recording that you didn't even know someone recorded? 
like, was that difficult for you to reconcile with like how it sounded and what it was and actually like putting it out? Yeah. It's all, it's torture. Um, I got to say that recently I've been listening to a lot of the going off track podcasts and I'm going to, so I'm going to go off track for just a second. Mm -hmm. And I, and I turned on my own. I'm the person who can't listen to my own records. I can't, um, see videos of myself. I just don't like it. It it doesn't make me, it makes me very uncomfortable. And I turned on the going off track thing just because somebody had, had noted to me recently that it was one of their favorite interviews that, that I had participated in. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't stand it. (laughs) Like, like hearing myself, (laughs) the content was great, but I just don't like hearing myself. But, um, and that's just a little, um, that was years ago. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, but six years ago, six years ago. Um, but, um, with that said, that's a little background on like how I feel about hearing myself. Mm -hmm. So during the lockdowns, um, in an attempt to like keep myself busy and keep Lance Kohler, who has always helped me with, um, recordings busy because he lost all of his business and wasn't playing any shows. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to go through some of like his archives and find some stuff that he could work on and I could work on. And he had these two shows. It's like 33 fucking tracks um, recorded from a 2018 weekend run that we did. Oh, so Lance had them. Lance had them and he had recorded them on his own. Okay. Um, You know, so they're like properly recorded Right. And so he just started giving me rough mixes, but listening to myself for two hours is, is torture. Cause I really did have to like, you know, make mix notes and stuff like that. But what's really great about it and what kept my interest is that <clears throat> my sister's playing violin throughout the entire thing. Uh, Andrew Ali is playing harmonica. Julie Carr is doing vocals. Lance Kohler is doing percussion. Josh Small is um, playing uh, resonator guitar and doing vocals. So it's like a whole big yeah. thing. And really like what I'm doing is putting this out there with that uh, Grateful Dead aspect to it where it's like everybody used to make board tapes or like recordings right. and just put them yeah. out. And it, it a, 33 tracks is going to be the same price as like just a normal record. And Which just was get super it. punk rock, right? The Grateful Dead thing. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And then that gives me like, you know, I really, I, I'm done with a new record. Like I'm not done recording it, but I'm done demoing it and, cool. and really excited to get in the studio, but it's just get something out there. We're all in this weird spot. And then, so like, then the conflict is, is like <sighs> November 3rd is election day. And then uh, the rec, oh, the thing comes out on November 13th. And like, you know, most of my close friends and and who are I, I appreciate their critiques are like no i think we're gonna need something you know uh, right you know because it's a it, we'll get lo- I, i'm just i was afraid that the release will get lost in mm-hmm. the chaos but who cares it's just music i'd rather make sure that there's some stability yeah than then keep adding some positivity into the ether we need it we yeah. need it more than your silence for yeah sure. yeah Fuck yeah! So what's uh, what's your intention with the the new stuff and the new record? You got like a timeline for that? Or no, not at all. But I I, I got to say that I'm enjoying the songs more <clears throat> than I ever have. I, cool. When when COVID 
kicked in. It did something to my writing process that's never happened. And, um, um, I don't know how to explain this and I'll try to be as brief as I can. Is that like, in a lot of ways, I think that we write for the room that we're most comfortable in. And I've always written for a 250 capacity club with a shin high stage that sold out and everybody screaming Mm -hmm. along. Sure. Yeah. But suddenly with the idea that that might not be happening anytime soon, my writing approach turned into something totally different. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's a much quieter approach is I guess my point. And I don't know why I'm more, interested in it than I have been, but, but I cannot believe that I'm wasting everyone's time by releasing yet another fucking record. Cause I just have so <laughs> many out, but, um, I really, really like these songs. So it's, lot. it's almost like, it's like the idea of not having to deliver it in that context that you think it like freed you up a little. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of don't know how to explain it. Yes. 100 percent uh ken burnt uh talking head singer um what's his name david burn david burns it was accidental like when covid kicked in and i realized that i was writing a completely different style um which is really folky like my mother's folk but of course it's my lyrics you know which take it it's fair you know obviously more contemporary um i stumbled upon david burns talking on like one of those afternoon NPR shows on like a Sunday um, talking about writing songs at the beginning of talking heads at CBGB's Hmm. how the songs that he wrote for CBGB's did not work in other places. And it really resonated with me when I was listening, how like, you know, like I can play this song in a 300 capacity club but it doesn't work in a theater. Right. And then I started making the connection of like being freed of the idea of playing specific places and writing less for my anticipation of presenting them live and more for the need to get this out of my system in the way that it's coming. So it was like a clean slate. That's awesome. Yeah, um, it's really interesting, like writing for like nobody. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? Because I mean, bands get into those routines where you know you you put out a record, you spend the next like eighteen months more or less, you know, traveling and touring on it, and then you get very little time basically home, and and you're either writing it on tour or coming home for a small chunk of time and writing it. And then and then rinse repeat. So it's like, you know, it's it's almost like your reality is dictating the context. Yeah, and it's um, like, and it's the successes. Like you know, the bands right. who tour on European uh, uh, festival circuits know that at the end you start the song going. You just learn it, but mm-hmm. like at the same time, and this is not something that like a lot of writers i think do intentionally but it's not unlike like um and uh, um your studies of social media you post a picture on your instagram you have 1000 followers and 900 of them like a picture 
the next mm-hmm. picture you post is going to more likely be with that sort of right um, image. And songwriting is the same way, and that's why we watch so many mm-hmm. people try to write the song that got them yes. where they're yes. at in, to an embarrassing level. But I think what we really <laughs> also don't see is the fact that we're playing for the room. And, yeah. and, and again, like this is not intentional in any way, the way that I just came with these songs. Um, it, but it is really cleansing and it could be the worst record in the world, but <laughs> I will knows? like it because <laughs> right well, now I, mean, I like it. Good on you for like letting it flow like that. You know, I mean, I think, you know, maybe something I appreciate about you in general is that, it's almost like if uh, if everything is going one way, it's your instinct to go the other way. Um, That's something I've, great. by the way, I've taught my kids that from the day they were born, zig when they zag. And, yeah. and that's what I always say. I'm like, you see all those motherfuckers walking down the river that way? And they're like, yeah, let's go to the hole in the fence. That's right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, go I'm the opposite that. way. I'm with that. Um, now, one story I had to get from you, because I'd never heard of it before, was... Let's let's stay in Jersey a little bit, just for me. Our our mutual friend, the Brian Fallon. Uh, apparently, you guys were in the room together when you got a call about playing with the Richmond Symphony, and your first reaction was like, "Nah, fuck that!" And like Brian called you out a little. He did. Like, can you can you tell I me? I can't that story? totally remember it. I used to tell this on stage, but <clears throat> getting okay. senile. Um, so. Um, at Crossroads, yeah, with Andy Diamond and crew, and um, mm-hmm. I, I, I assume this is one of the holiday shows with Brian, and and yeah, my phone rings, and I usually don't pick it up, but it's I know the number. It's David Fisk, who's like the uh, director of the Richmond Symphony, and he just says like he's English. <laughs> So his accent instantly. People with English accents are just so fucking smart that oh, you yeah, feel small, yeah, no, no matter what. So I answer the phone. Hello, governor. No, but um, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's David Fisk from Richmond Symphony, and it was weird that he was calling like after hours like that, right? Because it was like like almost showtime type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But he's clearing his desk off clearly. But he's he says, "Would you like to collaborate with the Richmond Symphony?" And and I kind of was like, what, 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 you know, like, what you mean? <laughs> and he's like, like, we, we play your songs. Wow. Okay. And at the theater that you used to unload trucks and build right. stages yeah. and hang lights, yeah. um, which is the Carpenter Theater, which is this beautiful theater. You know, the last show that I went to, like, in the audience was Willie Nelson, if that gives you an idea, Ooh. or, like, wow. the Richmond Ballet's Nutcracker or Swan Lake. Like, those are the kind of events that I see. And I was just like, hell no. <laughs> I ain't doing that. So, um and then Brian was like, man, you go on stage and talk this shit jibber-jabbing about fucking challenging yourself and doing things different and fucking living this life. And you're saying no? And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Fuck you, Brian. Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> but no, I called him back and, and I did it. And I tell you, I lost a lot of damn sleep. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, it, let me just really quickly um, explain like how this goes with a union uh, symphony is um, so this great local uh, composer named Trey Pollard wrote all of the music for the symphony um, mainly on his own direction. Like we had a couple meetings um, but he, he gave me samples of what it would sound like, like symphonic, like uh, with like keys. So I got used to that. And then, so day before is a dress rehearsal and I show up and I got like, I don't know, 15 minutes. Okay. To rehearse and like sound check with the whole symphony and yeah, meet the sure. conductor, Josh Wynn. And then the next day I got like 15 minutes. Oh my god! Because they're they are geniuses. They're the right. Like best. that's all they they're, need. They are the Michael Jordans, you know. Like and, right. and so they can just read it. And so I get up there. I thought about what I wore for the first time. Like <laughs> I wore a button-up shirt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I don't sure, know what yeah, to do. Yeah. And um, man, it just flowed. It was absolutely beautiful there's songs like when i say that i hear colors like there were songs that just it was just the whole room was just colors and i couldn't see anybody because the the front of house lights were blinding me so that was great so i just got to close my eyes and hear the colors and like yeah. it was really really magical and once in a lifetime you know like sure. it, you know yeah. it, was, it was it was beautiful and my kids were there and my oh, parents awesome. came and it was great. And my it was the first time my dad had ever seen me play. I know you usually don't like think that way, but was this one of those unique times that you felt kind of like like uh I don't know, that sense of I worked here. Like I used to just like, you know, work super long days and get paid whatever to work here and now I'm like on the stage leading a show. Like was that like lost on you in the moment or were you really like soaking that in? No, I was more humbled by it. Like I, right. it was certainly not like a victory lap. It was more like a, <clears throat> like I walked on stage and was like, I used to work here. Yeah. Like straight up. Like that's what I told is like, and I want to thank local 87, IATSE union. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like yeah. give fist bumps to my homies. Like it was like, that was the, the biggest accomplishment, but like really it was just the, yeah, it's just I had a thought and I just lost it. But, um, but you know, too it's much just acid, bro. It's too <laughs> much acid. But like, really, it's just it was. I'm such a private person. It was a very lonely, yeah. lonely event too. Like, um, because huh. I like showed up, did my thing, sat in the dressing room, went up and played, and walked straight out the door and walked right. home. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. And and I had my phone off the whole time. And then I sat out back, had a beer, and went to sleep. Yeah. Like, I didn't see anybody at all. So, it's just, that shit's weird. But, man, it was really, really neat. Really I'm neat. I'm with you, Tim. I It's one of the reasons I love you is is uh, I'm the same type of person. It doesn't matter what kind of night it is, how glorious it is, what kind of achievement I had. I always seem to wind up alone somewhere quiet i like it you know like i don't know because just because because some people make art for different reasons um all right so we've had you for a long time i'm so glad we finally got to do it after our first little snafu but i have one final thing i need to know <laughs> i have three categories i need your favorite songwriter 
from the punk genre, from the folk genre, and from the metal genre. Fuck, I listen to so little music. <clears throat> I really only listen to classical music. Um, oh, should I? All right, add composer. So, should I add composer? No, no that's so fucking academic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even know their names. Um, um, favorite songwriter, punk. It's obscure, and I don't mean to to. I do mean to bring his name up again. In I would say that Adam Nathanson uh, from Born Against is my favorite songwriter, but it was his work in the band The Young Pioneers. Yeah, I find band. to be um, one of my my greatest influences, and um, the other one for lyrics and music, um, who I think is just exceptional, uh, is an utter, utter piece of fucking shit. Um, and so I'm going to leave him nameless. Okay. And that's what happens. That. That's what happens when you tour for many, 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 many more fucking years <laughs> and you only dislike a couple people. So yeah. his music has been lost in his bullshit. Um, yeah. I hate when that happens, but it does happen, doesn't it? Folk is so difficult because it's folk and country music is is pretty much all I listen to. My okay. daughter's favorite is Sturgill Simpson. Okay, um, good new record. I haven't listened to the new one, the bluegrass one yet. But um, my favorite contemporary, other than Sturgill, is Tyler Childers. Okay, um, but. Uh, and there's so many great ones, Prine, Nelson, you know, Prine, rest in peace. But um, I would say that my greatest influence as a kid um, and to this day, as tragic as he is a, a personality or was a personality, is is, is um, Towns Van Zant. Okay. Without a doubt. Um, sure, sure. I know a lot of people who aren't familiar with the genre don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And then metal. Yeah. Oh, man. We're going back to Venom. No, I mean the the biggest influence. I'm not going to say songwriting at, as much as I'm going to say the life changing, life altering record okay. and and band that created it. Of course, is Rain and Blood by Slayer. I just there. I just don't know that anything can top um, what that did to me when I had to a scheduled fist fight in high school and how I could turn on um, rain and blood and just fucking get ready and then turn on NWA and just be like, I got this fucking shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm not sure that, that that's a song writer, but um, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> King Kong got nothing on me. <laughs> Tie awesome. my hair back in a ponytail. I love it. You got it. You can't give him anything can't to grab, right? Grab that shit. That's it. That's it. I love whenever you know it's a first timer when they show up in a baggy hoodie or something. You know? like, come on, son. or a backpack you know? on. Yeah, no good, no good. Well, thanks, Tim. Thanks yeah. for taking all this time, man. I'm glad this worked out. I appreciate it. Right back. All right, man. Tim. Tim. You know what? Fuck Sam, huh? <laughs> the guy at the party. You can't do that. No. <laughs> that is not a good move. That's oh. a bad deal.
Because you're lucky you gave it to him who had like a background and kind of knew you you could have given someone a mental breakdown (laughs) (laughs) seriously that could be murder that's what have you ever thought about that it could it could definitely be murder and that's what i'm saying if in that moment when tim was like in his running shorts ran in and out into that alley and there was actually someone there That's one of those like true crime stories yeah, about it, some guy on bath salts that's a or something. Really, yeah. There's nothing cool about giving somebody a, a drug that, especially something so potent. It's really uncool. It's the definition of uncool, I think. So fuck Sam. Yeah, fuck that wherever guy. this guy he is. He should have got his head fucking cracked for fucking that. Fucking hipster, whatever <laughs> it is. I love the people Tim called. They called like his booking agent. I don't know. It's so funny. Um, yeah, but yeah, that. That's pretty brilliant. He must have some awesome. good people, though. They talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a uh, a fun interview. I appreciate Tim could do it. This was round two since we had some technical difficulties. That's true. We tried to get together the first. We time. tried to get Tim on like really early, didn't we? Yeah, he was one of the first. Yeah. He was going to be like one of the first comeback episodes. Yeah. He and, might have and, been uh, our first attempt at a Corona episode. I think. Yeah. And I thought all of them were going to go yeah. that badly. I was like, oh, my God, what is this website Brad chose? I was like, but, this isn't going to work. Going out track yeah, is I about think, sitting in a room. But I guess Tim just had an okay. ancient computer and couldn't get it going. Luckily, he's got a new MacBook Pro. And he sounded great. good to go. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to tell you that I talked to Steven today and he was like, you guys are fucking rocking it. He's like, he's like <gasps> been listening to the show. He's like, he goes... Jonah's so jealous about uh, Reagan, Chuck getting Chuck Reagan and Milo. <laughs> and he's oh. like, and Stephen was like, I talked him down. I'm like, he goes, you got to realize it's COVID. People are sitting at home. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Benny's doing a good fucking job, dude. But, uh, oh, but he was well, really nice psyched. He, was, he said to say hi. And he was like, really, he's really psyched about the show. He says it sounds great. Uh, that's awesome. So. He must be in like Netflix heaven. I can't imagine the kinds of wormholes Steven's gone into with this time. The kinds of nerd he's, wormholes. He's he'd be teaching. proud, though. He's working. You he's... know what he'd be proud of? What's that? Is I just read my kids, before we went to bed, a really old uh, Captain America and the Falcon oh, fight Spider-Man shit, Marvel comic. <laughs> I don't know how old it is, but it, it's like it looks it's, like a proper old it's one. It's got the 15 70s. cent. Yeah, it's Wait, got the 15, 15 cent thing. Oh no, that was Yeah, it says 15 cents really? on the on the cover. Yeah. Oh, that was before um, my time. My comics yeah. were like 30 cents, I think. And it's in pretty bad shape, but we found it at this like like uh my kids real into Spider-Man right now, you know, normal thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And we went to this like big antique swap meet kind of thing and there was a comic vendor and he saw it and bought it. So yeah, I was just reading uh Dude, that was Captain America and the Falcon. That was honestly probably my main comic, Captain America That's and a, the Falcon. But Nice. Yeah, that and Spider-Man. I just have to cut out the like weird like uh racial stuff between Captain America and is, the Falcon. Is, it, is there stuff? It's not like bad, but they kind of like talk shit to each right. other that I don't I right. can't explain right. yet in a good way. Well, yeah. a 15 cent comic must have been like the 60s though because like oh really yeah because when i was buying them i think they were 30 cents that was like the 70s i have no reference for this stuff 
yeah. but it's about 10 bucks now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still, no they bargain. love it. Anyway. I mean, speaking of money, speaking comics of- cost money, kids cost money. <laughs> Help us on our Patreon yeah, if, you, if wanna, you enjoy these episodes. It's uh, patreon.com slash going off track. You can go check it out and see if it's something there that suits you. Um, and apparently, I haven't listened, but there's a conversation about me talking about lingerie. Oh, yeah. Last, that was from the last uh, episode. I don't even remember that conversation. Yeah, so, so, just, so sometimes... Did I say anything racy? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Not really. It's not as juicy as it sounds. It's funny, though. Yeah. It's good. Okay. Uh, That's good. Yeah. So there's we sometimes have these like conversations after we've kind of stopped recording, but I'm still rolling like my own Always little like rolling. rolling my Pro Tools here, and it doesn't make it to the main show. But um, yeah, we put it up on Patreon. We're trying to get some more stuff up there. We've got a few podcasts up there that you can't get anywhere else. Um, but really, it's oh, all and, about and, joining the gang. Yeah. Is what it's really That's right. all about. And thanks to Neil, oh, yeah, <laughs> who who's a Patreon who also basically like reminded me that we should get Tim on again. Like the night so before. he should know. Like, yeah, like <laughs> he, you know, I had been thinking. I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe Tim got Tim got something where I could hit him up again. Right. And literally saw Neil's message, being like, hey, I have a suggestion. Why don't you try Tim Barry? So it worked out very oh, so serendipitously. It, was. it wasn't just a coincidence. No, it really like he sparked my you. head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Well, thanks, so, dude. Props to Neil. Yeah. Um, who is uh, who is a very cool dude and on the Patreon. I'm sorry we didn't get your questions in. Yeah, we didn't have time. He didn't make it in time, but yeah, he had to go for yeah. a bike ride or something. Yeah, bike ride. <laughs> but uh, Tim is uh, available f- on Instagram. Available. <laughs> you like that? That was good. At uh, underscore Tim underscore Barry underscore. (laughs) Way to be accessible, And at Twitter, he is Tim Barry RVA, which is all caps on Twitter. Obviously, it doesn't make a difference, but he seems to like it that way. So check out Tim. See what's going on there. Uh, you know, give us some good reviews on iTunes if you'd like. You can, if you want to just throw us a tip and don't want to be a patron it's too much of a commitment you can always give us some money on venmo at off track um and really just you know like good reviews are always good and those are free yeah so that's right you know and uh and i'm i'm into this uh suggestions for guests so if anybody who's on the patreon um has some suggestions somebody you'd want to hear us dig into it with yeah. Give us a right. I'll hit anybody up. So I don't care. I'm ruthless like that. So if you say, hey, I'm curious what Carrot Top would say <laughs> going off track. You know what? I got a couple managers I could hit up. Be like, yo, can you get me to Carrot Top? It's possible. I don't know if I'd want to talk. What about Gallagher? Is he still alive? The guy I, smashed I watermelons? no idea, dude. I don't know why my head just went to like, like, like Las Vegas comics. <laughs> Elaine Boozler. What's another Las Vegas comic from the uh, 80s? Stephen God. Wright, that guy who barely oh, said anything. Oh, I love that guy. He was pretty yeah, brilliant. He was fun. Yeah. He didn't really last because people kind of picked up on his thing. But when he first he started sticky. doing that, he was pretty amazing. I would love if if anybody's listening. I would love some new uh, comic recommendations. I've hit a wall. The last one I found was that guy Kyle Kinane. He's kind of funny. 
Mm. I don't know where to go. I've been you need some listening laughs. to the same Dave Chappelle shit like over and over <laughs> again. I need I need new material. You need some new laughs. I do. I love stand up. I love listening to stand up. Oh, cool. Well, I hit up our guest Joe Sib for more stand up recommendations. He didn't answer me. Oh, he will. Hit him again. The fuck, Joe. Come on. Joe. He's not listening to this. You think he's listening? No. <laughs> Joe, if you're listening to it going off track this late, respect on you. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'm going to send you a edible arrangements. <laughs> right. I got nothing more interesting to say. Let's wrap it up. Let's get out of here. Thanks, Tim. You're yeah. the best. I love you and admire you. And uh, the rest of you, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.